It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to the PowerMizzou.com podcast. Gabe DeArmond and Mitchell Forty here in Columbia. And we're going to talk, I guess, the next big thing, unless you consider spring football a big thing. The next big thing with football is the NFL draft, pro day, the combine, all that will precede that. But we're going to talk a little bit of NFL draft today and Missouri fans are going to be paying a lot of attention and potentially a lot of attention out in Denver, Colorado. That's where we go to Kyle Fredrickson. He covers the Denver Broncos for the Denver Post. Kyle, how you doing, man? I'm doing pretty well, fellas. There's uh, never really a slow time in this business, it seems. Always something to talk about, so I uh, appreciate you guys having me on. Yeah, thanks for uh, joining us. And the first thing, this this interview kind of probably has changed a little bit here in the last uh, 24 hours since the Broncos have done what they did and traded for Joe Flacco, and we'll get to that. But I, I just kind of want to read from your perspective out in Denver. We have been hearing for three months, like the, the Denver Broncos love Drew Locke, and you know there, there's a really good chance. Generally, when I see that leading up to a draft, I think it's false. Uh, what has been your take on, on all of this talk about the, the Broncos and Locke? It's really hard to say what that conversation is, mostly based on the fact that this is a brand new coaching staff that's coming in and I think is actively evaluating these guys. And and I think that'll play a a big part in in the direction the Broncos are going to go when they do pick a quarterback in this draft. And I certainly think they still will. Um, But I think a lot of where that conversation comes from is really just been John Elway. Um, sort of taking, uh, you know, a, a little bit of time out of his schedule to see Locke play in person, to watch him play um, as well at the Senior Bowl. You know, he just sort of kind of fit uh, the prototypical player. You figure a guy like John Elway would like quarterbacking his team. Um, but you, as you mentioned at the top with Joe Flacco uh, coming to the Broncos, that does change a lot of things, I think, in terms of how the Broncos move forward uh, in addressing their needs at that position in the draft. Um, but you're right. It, it seems like when we do hear these reports of teams being tied to guys, uh, you know, a month or so out, it's hard to say how much validity there is. Um, there was certainly uh, interest on the Broncos' part in Locke, and if he happens to fall to 10, I think there is still a possibility the Broncos could do that, just depending on sort of what their real kind of faith in him is. Um, but at this point, you know, I, I think there's interest, and, and we'll just have to wait and see until draft day uh, how real it is. Kyle, you said you do expect the Broncos to take a quarterback at some point in this draft. Um, do you think that, that the Flacco trade makes it more likely, as some people have suggested, that, that they're looking to get that quarterback at, at number 10 and give him you know, a guy to develop behind? Or do you think this gives them a little more flexibility and makes it more likely that they might use that pick to, to kind of fill another need based on who's available? Well, it's an interesting question because I think the Broncos would have a similar strategy if they decided to stick with Case Keenum and that Keenum would be their week one starter uh, with the thought that, all right, you're going to keep playing until you lose this job. And, you know, when that time comes, uh, we've got this rookie that we're developing behind you that we're going to play. And the same is going to be true of Joe Flacco, but the expectations I think are, are just going to be higher. And from that sense, I think the Broncos would feel a lot more comfortable addressing some of their uh, other needs earlier in the draft, be an offensive line or cornerback, um, before they would take a QB. And that just sort of kind of limits uh, the pool of guys who are at least seen as the, the top echelon of passers 
uh, in an otherwise sort of down overall quarterback class. So the Broncos are, are going to have some, some options there for sure. Uh, whether or not they use their first pick is, like I said before, maybe they really do love Locke a, a lot and, and he slides that far. Um, but in my mind, I, I think that might be a stretch. I'd be surprised if Locke uh, does get all the way to 10. Wow, because I, I think, uh, I mean, a lot of people have said Dolphins, uh, you know, especially now everybody's in love with Kyler Murray, which is a different story. But I, I think Locke is probably third in line at quarterback. But we all know they go they go sooner than they should. Uh, full disclosure, Mitchell here is a Broncos fan. I'm a Chiefs fan who does not want Drew Locke in Denver, so I don't have to root <laughs> against him. But um, the, the, we were talking before we called you. The weird part of this Flacco deal for the Broncos to me is – like this is not a team that's that's a player away from winning a Super Bowl. Is this a better team this year with Joe Flacco than it would have been with Case Keenum? I think so. I, I think the Broncos know what they have more in Flacco, even even now, and what they have in Keenum. His first season here and the issues that the Broncos had as a team, they can't all be pinned on Keenum. Um, they had some pretty uh, serious offensive line uh, injury turnover. Um, you know, the, the fact that you lose Emmanuel Sanders late in the season and then the Broncos lose every game without him, um, I think is a very clear sign of, of his importance in this offense. So if you gave uh, Joe Flacco that same supporting cast last year in Denver, you're right. I don't know that the Broncos win many more games. But if you give Joe Flacco a great supporting cast, the Broncos feel like he has the leadership abilities, the experience, the the, the ability to, to – put the football anywhere on the field and, and make the defense cover every single blade of grass, something that really you don't have to uh, deal with when you're preparing against Case Keenum, um, that the Broncos feel like give them an edge. And, you know, the fact that they traded away Demarius Thomas earlier in the season for a fourth-round pick and now they're getting Flacco for a fourth-rounder, um, you can sort of chalk it up as a swap for those two guys and, and you could make arguments that each of them would make the Broncos better in different ways. Um, but at the end of the day, it, it's an upgrade from Keenum, if, if only a slight one. Um, and it, I think it at least gives this coaching staff a fresh start with the guy um, that they can really get behind. And it's possible they looked at Keenum's tape and just thought, you know what, this, this isn't the guy who's going to get us to the Super Bowl. Kyle, you know, as, as a lot of Missouri fans are, are kind of, you know, evaluating this draft and then looking at the mock drafts and where Drew Locke might end up, there's, you know, kind of been a lot of debate about where would be a good landing place for him, where would be a place he could succeed. Um, do, do you think kind of, you know, given kind of the pieces and then how the Broncos roster is built right now and given, I think, the, the a little bit of pressure John Elway is feeling to kind of make the next quarterback he spends a high draft pick on be the guy, do you think this the Broncos is a good landing spot for a, a first-round draft pick quarterback? Um, I think so. I, I think with the structure that they have in place, and, and now especially with Flacco, I don't know you know, what sort of mentorship role he would want to play or, or really just how overblown a lot of those storylines are about these veterans who, who kind of you know, look over the, the rookies and, and, and kind of put them under their wing. Um, but, you know, the, the, the way I look at it, you know, if Drew Locke does come to Denver, um, you know, he's going to have a, an all uh, Pro Bowl running back and Philip Lindsay, who's just a rookie, who's going to come back next year. Uh, you know, a couple of young receivers uh, who are great compliments to Emmanuel Sanders. If, if he does come back with the Broncos, if, if they do re-sign him um, and keep him in Denver. Um, so, you know, I think there's a lot of variables that a, a rookie quarterback would like here. But, you know, you mentioned it sort of as part of your question. 
you know, John Elway has made a lot of poor decisions in selecting quarterbacks, going back to Brock Osweiler, Paxton Lynch. Um, you could even look at what happened with Case Keenum um, and how that failed after one year and, and sort of tacking onto that list as well. So, you know, ever since Peyton Manning did his thing here, I think there's been this expectation that there must be great quarterback play to, to return to the Super Bowl for these Broncos. Um, they feel like they might have that in Joe Flacco if he can recapture some magic and to be a young quarterback who learns under that and maybe gets his shot, um, you know, there's also a chance for playing time there. So of all the places that uh, Drew Locke could land, I definitely don't think that Denver would be the worst. Talking with Kyle Fredrickson from the Denver Post. And, Kyle, I'll apologize if I catch you off guard with this. I know people that cover NFL teams, some of them are are big college football draft guys. Some of them are far less interested in it. But just from your personal perspective, this isn't a Denver-centric question, but – Like I said, I think you've got Murray, you've got Dwayne Haskins, and you've got Drew Locke that are regarded as the top three quarterbacks probably in this this draft. I know it depends team by team, but how much have you looked at at all three of those guys, and who who would you say should be the first one off the board? Um, I'm, I'm a little bit biased here. I did spend three seasons covering Oklahoma State football for the Oklahoman um, between 2014 and 2017, and um, I've seen Kyler Murray play, you know, just throughout the years when he was at A&M, um, and obviously uh, I, I pay attention to the Big 12, so watching him at Oklahoma, I just really don't think there's any reason why you don't take a risk on this guy. There's, there's going to be a lot of people in traditional football guys um, who are going to harp on him for the size, but... You know, Murray is a player who's excelled at every single level he's played at. I think he's the most explosive quarterback runner we've seen maybe since Mike Vick, and that's probably hyperbole, and, and we need to see more on tape to, to for sure make that comparison. But the way he's so fluid with the ball, uh, you know, as a runner, and also a, a pinpoint passer, you know, mind you, that this guy was an incredibly efficient passer at Oklahoma. I think he even broke some of the records that Baker Mayfield set there. So, um, you know, if I'm an NFL GM, I, I look at some of these other guys, and, and Haskins was obviously inc- incredibly efficient at Ohio State, um, incredibly talented passer, and Drew Locke you know, has flashed all the skills that, uh, you know, it takes to be a great NFL quarterback. Um, But I'm going with Kyler Murray simply because I don't think we see these types of athletes come along very often, uh, kind of these generational type players. Um, And I think he's it, you know, even if he is standing, um, you know, 5'8", 5'9", something like that. Kyle, this one is a, a little less geared towards our, you know, Mizzou followers, but uh, something I'm interested in. What what do you what do you see as the Broncos' biggest needs? They need to need to fill this offseason, be it be a draft or free agency. Um, you know, it's a toss up for me between offensive line and and, and cornerback. Um, you know, I know Mel Kuyper's initial mock draft um, had them taking DeAndre Baker out of Georgia. Uh, Ryan O'Halloran, who I work with on the Broncos beat at the post. A uh, guy who's been covering the NFL for over a decade. Um, he's got him taking uh, Byron Washington. I, I think that's the guy, the the cornerback out of uh, out of Washington. That's probably not his last name. Um, but uh, one of those lang- lengthy, rangy uh, Pac-12 defensive backs that that we've seen come out um, of several of those schools over the years. I think the Broncos probably go that direction. Um, but like I mentioned, if you're going to bring in Flacco, a 34-year-old quarterback. Um, you ought to take, you know, maybe several offensive linemen within their top four or five picks, uh, being that the Broncos have had some injury concerns there. Um, there's no guarantee that center Matt Paradis is back. 
Um, you know, I, I think that there's a lot of people are, who are hoping that the Garrett Bowles experiment maybe ends this season or after this season if he doesn't uh, show even more continued improvement. Um, so those are the two areas for sure. But, you know, this is a, this is a place that loves its quarterbacks. So, uh, you know, don't be surprised if, if they do decide to really kind of fall in love with the guy and, and, and build with Flacco and a, and a guy who they think can compete um, almost immediately. And if you're a Broncos fan, um, that's got to at least be exciting, um, even though uh, there's a lot of unknowns involved in that. Well, and what we know is wherever a quarterback is going to go today, by the time we get to the draft, just move that up like 27 spots because everybody's going to panic yeah. and, and take one. Uh, last thing for you, Kyle, you mentioned you covered Oklahoma State for a few years. So just, just open-ended question, fill in the blank here for me. Covering Mike Gundy is what? <laughs> um, always entertaining. Um, not always fun, not always the best, sometimes really great. Uh, but the thing I appreciate about that guy is there was just always something to write about, you know, if, whether it was, you know, him going rattlesnake hunting uh, in the off season or, or growing a mullet or just whatever. It, it seemed like there was something uh, they did uh, almost every week to, to maybe do some clever marketing um, but also just to showcase uh, his unique personality. There's uh, things things I definitely don't miss about covering college sports, but uh, I do appreciate a good personality, and, and Gundy fits that bill. All right, Kyle, appreciate your time, man, and uh, a lot of Missouri fans will be interested to see what Denver does with that number 10 pick. Thanks a lot. No doubt, fellas. Appreciate it. Thanks, right. Kyle. Kyle Fredrickson from the Denver Post. And, um, okay, so – you know more about this than I do. I'm just going to defer to you. Joe Flacco being a Bronco makes it more or less likely Drew Locke is in Denver. I say less. Uh, I know there's been a lot of speculation both ways, but when I initially saw the trade, my reaction was, you know, I I kind of like it. It makes sense to me if and only if John Elway or the you know the Broncos uh, front office has decided they they just don't love a quarterback in this year's draft class or at least don't think they can get the guy they really want like say maybe they really like Dwayne Haskins but don't think they can trade up to the top five to get him you know I I I think I can understand thinking you know the next quarterback we need to draft we're going to draft needs to be the guy and and we don't want to miss on another one so let's wait because we think there's two or three guys next season and if that's the thought process fine go ahead and go out and get Joe Flacco he his contract it, I think he still has four years on left on his contract but it basically after two seasons they can cut him for no cap hit so it's basically you know kind of almost like a club option at that point um <clears throat> And, and I, I can see how he's, you know, a bit of an upgrade over Case Keenum. That concerns me a little bit. But in my mind, if you were going to draft a quarterback in the top 10, he can sit behind Case Keenum as well as he can sit behind right. Joe Flacco. I mean, like, it's not like Joe Flacco was an excellent mentor to Lamar Jackson. It didn't seem like he kind of— <laughs> He didn't teach him how to throw. Yeah. I know that. <laughs> well, I mean, he just kind of—it it, almost—I mean, like, he— pouted basically after yeah. he got his job taken so so yeah I mean like and, and you're you know spending a lot of money at the quarterback position between Flacco and Keenum when obviously there's other needs there but I so I get you know you know bringing in a guy with experience trying to make a run with these defensive pieces you still have on the roster with a defensive head coach try to be you know that kind of team that the team similar to the one that won the Super Bowl if it doesn't work you draft a quarterback in the next year or two and, and it, it delays the rebuild a little bit but I get it from that perspective but I just, I won't understand if they they pick a quarterback in the top 10 at this point well and there's so many ways to go with this but look in the NFL the bottom line is like you cannot win a Super Bowl without a, a really good quarterback. And yep. I understand Trent Dilford did it. Joe Flacco did it. I think Joe Flacco, actually, at the time he did it, was a really good quarterback. Yeah. So, but 
if you're going to have that guy, like you've got to have so much around him, and the Broncos don't. I mean, this is not a team two years away from winning a Super Bowl. Yeah, I mean, they're they they, they they're a team that could make the playoffs this year for sure, I think, if people stay healthy. I just don't – but I don't see them winning the division with just a, adding a quarterback. They right. they got to help the offensive line. The offensive line had major issues. Part of that was injuries last year, but they, they got it. The left tackle position's a disaster. He mentioned Garrett Bowles. Gabe looked at me when he mentioned Garrett Bowles because he's heard <laughs> me rant about him at times. Uh, yeah, I mean, like, they, they – the defense still has some good players, but there are some holes in the secondary. So, like, it's feasible in my mind to see them getting better if they get better quarterback play, make the playoffs. I I don't know that they're one off season away from from winning a Super Bowl. And last thing on on Denver, and then we'll move more to Locke and and Missouri stuff. Like, if I'm an NFL GM in the AFC West outside of Kansas City, I think I am now loading up everywhere on defense, and I'm going. The next eight years, this thing is about finding a way to not let Patrick Mahomes score 35 points a game. Yeah. yeah they, defense and run. Yeah, probably so. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's definitely the type. I mean, the, that's the type of team the Broncos are going to want to be under Vic Fangio for sure. Right. You know, he's a defensive guy, comes from Chicago. So, but yeah, I don't know. Uh, I mean, I guess my point is. Don't go pick a first-round quarterback and think in two years I'm going to be in shootouts and beat Patrick Mahomes yeah. in them. No, you're definitely right. Yeah, and I mean, I just I, – I think – I can understand, like, I feel like a lot of times – and I think this is kind of what happened with, with Paxton Lynch is teams feel like, okay, we have to pick a quarterback. You know, we, we have this whole we, – we, we, you know, paid man to retire, whatever. We have – we need to get the guy, and so you you just take whoever you get at a certain pick, and it's, it's not a guy you really believe can – be the starter for a number of years and you know there's only so many of those guys in the league across a, a pretty big age gap if you I think it's worth it if you think you can wait a year or two to get that guy I think it's I think it could be worth it but you know I mean look over the next two years Justin Herbert Tua Tagovailoa and Trevor Lawrence are all being drafted yeah in the top five yeah I, I mean so that's out there when the Chiefs drafted Mahomes they knew they wanted him a year before they drafted him, and they said, we're waiting for this guy. We'll mm-hmm. go with Alex Smith for another year. So that this quarterback class, Kyler Murray, people, not everybody knows. Dwayne Haskins has started 13 games. Drew Locke, Daniel Jones, like potential, but I don't think anybody sold. So let's run through, like if it's not Denver. Mm-hmm. Look, Arizona, Drew Locke's not going number one yeah. to Arizona. They have a quarterback. San Francisco seems to be invested in Jimmy Garoppolo, whether or not that makes sense. They are. The Jets just picked Sam Darnold. Oakland, I guess, could take a quarterback. I can't see it being Drew Locke at number four. No, I, I, I don't think they'll take a quarterback, but I also def, I definitely don't think they'd take Locke at four. I think I think Haskins will be the first quarterback off the board. Tampa could take a quarterback, could stick with Jameis Winston. We mm-hmm. don't know. The other thing we're ignoring here is Trades. how many of these teams trade out yeah. and say, we know you need a quarterback. Come get the guy you want. Uh, the Giants need a quarterback. Mm-hmm. If I don't think we get through five picks of an NFL draft without a quarterback taken, but if we do, the Giants are picking the guy they want, which I'm with you. I think it would be Dwayne Haskins. Yeah, probably. I, uh, you know, th- I I know there's some excitement about the idea of like the all athlete team with Kyler Murray and Saquon Barkley and OBJ, but that, in my mind, I think Haskins is the he's the most sure thing, he's and the he's safer. the first guy off the board. Yeah. Um, but I also think someone's trading up to within the top five to get a quarterback for sure. Jacksonville probably needs a quarterback. I think they understand Blake Bortles is just a guy. Yeah. Um, 
that could be Kyler Murray. Yeah, I also think this is this is the area where I think we start seeing Drew Locke become a real possibility. Yeah. I think Drew Locke to Jacksonville is very possible. It would be, I would be almost sad for him because of all the Gabbert comparisons. Right. I think the entire well humongous Jaguars fan base would would uh, would immediately compare him to Blaine Gabbert and not really give him a chance. But uh, but yeah, I mean, like I, I think that's the first team that off the board that I could first team that I could really see like considering taking him off the board. Detroit, like, I don't know who their backup is, but it might be kind of time to find somebody who can come after Matt Stafford. I wouldn't hate that for Drew, except it's Detroit, and yeah. they just don't win. Yeah, and I, I don't see them using it. I think that they think they have enough time left in Stafford that they'll use that high of a pick somewhere else. Yeah, Buffalo's got Josh Allen. They don't need a quarterback. Denver, we've talked about. Cincinnati, I I don't really know what they're New doing. New coach, who knows? <laughs> I, I, I admit I don't pay a ton of attention to the Bengals. I, I would love the Packers say Aaron Rodgers has two more years and picks through lock. Yeah, they're not going to do that. That would be perfect. He has more than two years in he their mind. Does. I mean, they're going to get everything out of him they can. Aaron Rodgers also strikes me as the type of guy who could just wake up one morning and go, you know what, I'm tired of this crap. I'm done. Yeah. I'm, you know? Yeah. Um, Atlanta, they don't need a quarterback. Oh, I skipped over Miami. Miami probably needs a quarterback. I was do. interested. Kyle's talking about if Drew Locke gets to 10. Uh, I, I think, think most people are saying that's about the ceiling. Yeah. No, I think I think the only way he goes much higher than 10, either if the Jags fall in love with him or someone trades up, which people right. will or trade up. A bunch of people have traded up, and Haskins and Murray are both, both gone. gone. Yeah. No, yeah, yeah I think so. I, I, think, I think probably – you know, it, it would be not one of the teams currently in the top 10 taking him if he were to right. go. Before Atlanta 10, yeah. probably doesn't need a quarterback. Washington probably does. Yeah, Washington does. Uh, so I can see, I think he goes in the first 15 picks. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. I don't think he lasts to the second half of round one. No, absolutely not. I, I, I could definitely see a team trading up and taking him within the top 10. But I, again, it's not going to be, I don't think, one of those teams we currently listed unless maybe Jacksonville. So I'm looking through the teams that that could then trade from the second half of the first round. Um, Pittsburgh. Like, Big Ben has been 100 years old for six <laughs> years, right? Like, they're going to have to move on in the next yeah. – like, he is no longer an elite NFL quarterback. Yeah. I, I think they've got to move on in the next couple seasons. I could see Pittsburgh being that team that says, we're going to go to six to take somebody. That would be interesting. I think the the certainly the the Pittsburgh team Drew Locke would would quarterback would be different than the one right now. You know, we're already seeing Le'Veon Bell leaving, and I think Antonio Brown might be. I don't really know what circuit that's going on there. The one thing though, the the Steelers have drafted a couple quarter mid round quarterbacks in the last couple of years. They have Mason. They got Mason Rudolph, okay. and they have Josh Dobbs, who is probably less likely to be an yeah. NFL starter. But I think I think that when they drafted Mason Rudolph, the plan was for him to eventually be the successor, and I doubt they've given it enough time to go ahead and take another quarterback in the first round. Last one, the Chargers, like, maybe they pull a Kansas City and move up 20 spots to get somebody. Yeah, I could see that. Uh, I Yeah, I mean, Rivers is getting up there. He's the same, same age as Roethlisberger, I think. And so. he's not like a normal a 30 – what 37 years old he's 37 years old with like 19 children so he's really like 67 (laughs) years old. basically he might even have a grandkid at this point (laughs) he's got to be close (laughs) last thing on did you have any idea the raiders had three first round draft picks no i had no me either i I don't that doesn't mean anything but like they can draft a lot of dudes so look we'll talk plenty about the nfl draft uh coming up um 
we're we're trying to get some of the Missouri eligible players on the podcast. I've got a request out for Emmanuel Hall. We'd like to get Therese Hall on here. It maybe not to talk about the draft. Maybe we'll just talk to Therese. We could be chat like, with What's Therese. Up, Therese. Therese is an interesting dude. Yeah, yeah, we we would we would have a good time with Therese. Yeah, we're gonna miss him in uh, in media sessions. But uh, I don't know basketball. Like it's just kind of I. I don't know. No, like nice game on Tuesday night. I think we both walked away from that game going, that was the most entertaining, actually well-played by both teams game we've seen in a while at Mizzou Arena. Yeah, coming down the stretch, both teams were actually like scoring and making plays. It wasn't just who could last the longest without messing up. Yeah. Uh, no, it was it was a pretty good game. It was entertaining. It's I mean, like, you know, there's always people who, who say, oh, we love a good defensive game, but it was nice to watch a game get into the 70s and be close. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, like, you know, there's there's – Certainly, you come away with from that game with hope for especially the young guys. You know, Xavier Pinson looked great. Torrance Watson played well. Pickett didn't play great, but he's been good all year. So, like, there's there's some hope for the future. It's just that, you know, at this point this season, we just, I mean, you know, there's not really, it's, like, an end goal in sight. So Right. It's still kind of hard to see the NIT. They could change that maybe on Saturday. Um, I think there's some optimism. Mark Smith is coming back. We don't know at this point. Right. But if he does, you know, like Ole Miss is – they're not playing all that well. That's they're actually a I think they winnable just, game. They just beat someone last night, and I can't remember who it was. I want to say maybe Florida. So uh, they're okay. they're they're playing. They 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 were playing very well. They got up into the top twenty-five. Surprised everyone. Lost like four or five in a row. And now they th- I think they've won three or four in a row. But I mean, certainly they do not look invincible by any means. Uh, and especially if Mark Smith comes back, that'll help. I mean, Mizzou, the the numbers without him from three have been very drastic uh, he makes a huge difference just from his shooting and kind of spacing the floor so that would help for sure and i mean the goal is i'm trying to look at the sec standings the internet here is terrible so i'm getting there um but the goal to me is like don't play on wednesday in the sec tournament that is what i have called the most depressing day yeah, in college that, sports. i think for more than anything that's a goal for me because yeah <laughs> i don't want to be there and, and i mean they're 11th they're two games behind auburn florida Mississippi State and Arkansas. They're not catching Auburn. Yeah. They play Florida and Mississippi State, so they could make up a game there in a hurry, but the problem is both those games are on the road. Yeah. Arkansas, I mean, you got to make two games up in seven games and win a tiebreaker to avoid that first day. Yeah, that seems unlikely. I don't know. I mean, we'll see. You know, I, I don't know. Without knowing what those other teams' schedules right. are, it's hard to say. I mean, I don't, I'm not that impressed by Florida. I could see them if they play, you know, a good schedule going on a little skid or whatever. But, yeah, I mean, we'll see. I In, in my mind at this point, you know, I, I think it's just kind of become, you know, watch, enjoy each game, hope to pull off a win, and keep giving the young guys playing time. Yeah, and Missouri ends the season with three games they could slash should win. Home against South Carolina at Georgia, home against Ole Miss. Like, yeah. Those are games you could win. So let's say they sweep those. That would put them five and seven. And then these next four games are are five and five and what well, I don't know what they are right now. <laughs> five and nine, six and nine. That would put them six and nine. Okay. Okay. So these next four games are Ole Miss six and eight. Ole Miss at at Ole Miss, home against Kentucky, at Florida, at Mississippi State. Like is not hard to see there. No, not at all. I think, I I mean, like, they won't be favored in any of those games, that's for sure. Uh, Maybe if you pull off one of those, honestly, and you get to seven SEC wins, that might be good enough to get you out of Wednesday, which, I mean, seven SEC wins for this team uh, would be, that'd be pretty solid. I think that might be what you picked in your little pre-conference play. I think I picked them eight and ten, but Uh, I really didn't believe it. Okay, well, Um, never mind. 
you know, but yeah, I think they've just got to win one of the next four. Mm-hmm. And it's not going to be Kentucky here next Tuesday night, I don't think, unless not, Derek unless Chivas Derek actually plays. Up. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Ole Miss, Florida, Mississippi State, they're all on the road. Like, this is a really tough stretch. If Missouri can find a way to win one, they've got a chance. And look, I know nobody's goal is let's be 10th in the SEC, but mm-hmm. that's where they're at right now. And, and that's the goal. Um, all right. For anybody who didn't want to read our long 40-minute chat with Jim Sturkin with Andy Humes, who is Missouri's new compliance director. Um, again, we're going to say it. Like, Missouri is almost certainly not suing the NCAA if this thing doesn't go their way. Jim Sturk legitimately laughed when I asked that question. Um, so I understand the, like, the emotion and we want them to do this. And I even understand John Sunvold saying what he's saying. John Sunvold is doing PR right now, trying to get Missouri fans behind them. What John Sunvold is saying is really not all that realistic. They're not breaking away from the NCAA. They're probably not suing the NCAA. And the SEC is not putting an ineligible team in the title game. Yeah. Yeah, we actually, you know, we we posted the transcript of that, uh, of that conversation and had a story the next day. And some people, I think, not not a ton, not the majority, but some were, were a little underwhelmed. They thought, you know, where they were like, where's the, the passion from Sterk's, some of his previous statements? And and I actually came away from that fairly impressed just with, you know, the the they explained their their basis of an appeal in, in pretty good amount of detail without, you know, giving it all away. And it made all made sense to me. Like, you know, it, it was like, OK, you know, this is an argument I that. I understand. Like mm-hmm. I, I came away from our sit down with Sterk and, and Andy Humes feeling like, you know, man, maybe they have a bit of a case here. I think, I think a lot of, a lot of fans want to be angry and, and think, you know, and say, you know, oh, let's, you know, yell and scream and say the NCAA can't make an example out of us and all this stuff. But, but really, I mean, like if you go back and look, if you haven't read it yet, you know, read, read the story from the next day, like they're, they, they were pretty, they, they were pretty thorough and pretty detailed in explaining their case for the appeal. And, yeah, I mean, I think, look, there's definitely a place for what Sunvold is doing, what Moon Choi is doing, what uh, Barry Odom is doing. Mm-hmm. That's not Sterk and Hume's job. Sterk and Hume's job is let's get together a case that's actually going to go win this thing, not yeah. yell and scream. Yeah, we're, they're spending a lot of money on this appeal. They're, they're already, you know, they're faced with potentially eight to nine million dollars in deficit in uh, in in the from the bull ban like this. This is this is, you know, a serious, uh, serious appeal for them. And 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 certainly it's very important to, to you know, keep the fan base, you know, keep this in front of their mind at the front of their mind and uh, and keep them kind of unified, as, as we saw, you know, in the in the days after the decision. And uh, and that's what, like you said, what what John Sunvold and Barry Odom are doing and that that has its place. But uh, but yeah, we I mean, we won't know about this appeal for a while, but right. it was it was good to, to kind of get a glimpse inside it. Best case scenario for me after listening to Sturt, I think the NCAA could say, all right, you're right. The postseason bans were unfair. Mm-hmm. Those are gone. Mm-hmm. The recruiting restrictions are cut in half, mm-hmm. and you can push the scholarship stuff off a year. Yeah. If Missouri got that, to me, it's a walk-off win. Oh, absolutely, yeah. I I, I, I still tend to think – that most they they either get nothing lifted or reduced or just one thing and i think they would prefer the one thing be the bull ban mm-hmm. um if you could get like like and i do think no matter what i would i would think the scholarship production will be pushed off a year just because of the timeline of how this thing's going to work but um if you could get yeah if you could get the re- the recruiting stuff limited and the bull ban taken away yeah that'd be i mean that'd be a huge win um you know i i think like we like we said just because of the financial impact the bull ban is 
is a big deal. But the recruiting stuff, I mean, you know, if you could make that three or four weekends instead of seven that they can't host visitors, that that's that's a huge advantage because there's already a few weekends a year where they don't have anyone anyway. So Yeah, and so we're entering really kind of this low time. I mean, I use that term loosely. Like Kyle said, there's never a, a completely down time. But basketball and women's basketball obviously going to finish up here softball and baseball like they start playing but they're going to be on the road for so long that people don't realize really that they're playing spring football we think will start in early march and then we'll have pro day and and draft and all that uh recruiting right now is kind of at the all right feeling out stage like Mm -hmm. we don't expect much to happen right yeah um we'll have pro day i think early march and then the spring game is in april everyone can watch kelly bryant put on his uniform and throw like three passes yes and uh come down and have some wings and ribs and uh We'll hook up a tailgate. We'll we'll get some information out on that over the next few weeks. Uh, we'll be back next Thursday. Hopefully, we'll have you know Emmanuel Hall, somebody like that, uh, talk a little bit bit of basketball. And who knows, man? Seven days is a long time. Things tend to happen around here in seven <laughs> days. All right. Thanks for listening. Talk to you next week.